Man, what a way to start our time together. You can go ahead and be seated and welcome today to Crossroads Church. Welcome to those of you here at Thornton Campus. Welcome to those of you who are online or watching in our Fort Lupton campus. Uh, my name is Chris. If we have not met one of the pastors here, and I also want to just say happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, man, what, a, what an amazing weekend that we get to celebrate. I see lots of red and white and blue in the crowd. That's, that's great. Well done. Although I had to tell someone this morning that it's not like St. Patrick's Day. You don't get to pinch anybody if they're not wearing the right colors. So don't do that. All right? Don't do that. Um, but I hope that you get a chance to celebrate our freedom and our liberty. Uh, with your friends and your family uh, today or tomorrow, whenever you guys are planning on doing that. And we are uh, today in our fifth week in our series through the book of Acts. And uh, man, this series, this book has, uh, it's an amazing book. You see, it was written by this man named Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke. And the book of Luke was an account of Jesus' life. And the book of Acts is an account of the first century church, the apostles, the ones who walked with and talked with Jesus and how they started the church. And so Luke writes down this amazing account full of these mind-boggling stories. In fact, as I've been looking at the last few chapters, and we're just three chapters in, and you've, you've seen over the last few weeks that there's just these, these stories that make you sort of stop and scratch your head and think like, how did that happen? I don't know about you, but it makes me think about like when I go, when I see a magician doing his, his or her thing, right? Or an illusionist, right? For uh, if you don't want to call him a magic trick or whatever, like I hate magic tricks. I just hate them. Anybody with me? Not because they're not cool, but because I don't know how they do it. And it makes me feel dumb. Like, I love having a couple of card tricks up my sleeve so that I can make others feel that way, but I don't like feeling that way. And I remember one time as a kid, we went and saw this illusionist, and, uh, and I was, I don't know, somewhere six or seven or eight. I don't, I don't remember how old I was. I was young. And, and I remember watching this guy just in awe and the whole time thinking like, and, and, and listening to every single word that, that he was saying over the course of his show. And at the end of his show, he did his like, his ultimate trick. And, and he starts it off by talking about how, you know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And, and, and the spirit of God lives in us. And if we pray, if we, if we follow him, that we can do amazing things. And then this guy, no joke, levitated off the stage. I'm not even kidding. There I am sitting there watching him. And he's, he's, he, he just starts floating. And I'm like, dude, this dude's floating on on the stage. And so like any other seven or eight year old, I go home cause, and I start praying, Jesus, I want to float. Can you help me float? Like, I, I believe you can do it, right? I saw this guy do it. I believe you can help me do it. Would you please help me float? Ready? Go. And I didn't float. And I, sat, and, I, and I was so confused. To this day, to be honest, to this day, some, I don't know, 35 years later, I'm still wondering how this guy did it. I think it had more to do with the power of Jesus in his life. I think it might have had some smoke and mirrors or, or something like that. But, you know, here's the thing is that we're looking at a story today that, that feels like something like that. It's a story that, that gathered around thousands of people in awe, scratching their heads going, how in the world did you do that? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, 
If you want to turn there on your Bible app, uh, you can go ahead and follow along. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter today. We're going to be covering quite a bit of ground, but this is an amazing, amazing story that, that leaves us wondering, how in the world did you do that? So starting with Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a, man, uh, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, float. Just kidding, he didn't say that. <laughs> Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So I'm going to stop right here, and we're just going to stop and recap. Now, this was right there at the temple in Jerusalem, and it was the ninth hour of the day. And in, in the Jewish clock, it's, the day started at 6 a.m., and so the ninth hour was 3 p.m. And twice daily, all the Jews would come into the temple for a sacrifice called the Tamid, where every day they would sacrifice a, sh a sheep in the morning and a sheep in the afternoon. And this was for the ongoing forgiveness of sin, to, to continue to maintain the covenant that God had with Israel. So this was the perfect place for this man to sit every day and ask for money because literally thousands of people would be walking right by him. Not only that, but in Jewish culture, in, in Jewish uh, religion, it was highly valued to be charitable, to give money, to give alms to the poor, to those who were begging. So this man, since birth, had been carried to this same spot. These people had seen him for, for literally decades begging for money as they walked into the Tamid twice a day. And here comes Peter and John, and, and uh, he's, he's expecting, like any other day, to get some money from them. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Luke gets so specific. He says, his ankles and his feet were made strong. And he got up and for the first time ever began to leap around. I mean, what would you do if you've never ever stood on your feet before? What would you do first? You would do exactly what this guy did. You would start running around, jumping like a little kid. You would start leaping and just, just in awe of like, oh my goodness, look at what my legs can do now. I mean, just imagine what was going through that guy's mind that day. Just this beautiful story, but here's the thing about this story is that it's not the main point of this text. It's not the main point. It might seem like the main point because it is kind of this cool thing that, that, that you see and you scratch your head and go, how in the world did this happen? But it's not the main point. We're going to get to the main point in one second, but there's two quick things I want to just mention about this. 
You see, it was in Peter and John's lacking that they were able to serve this man. It was in what they didn't have. When he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I give you, I give you. You see, it was in their lacking that God moved. Sometimes I wonder, what if Peter had a couple of spare coins in his pocket that day? This poor guy, he wouldn't have known what he was missing out on, but he, Peter probably could have just given him a couple of coins and went on about his day. Never would have, nothing would have ever happened, right? Wouldn't have thought twice about it. It was like every other day. But it was in their lacking that God moved. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Kim give an amazing sermon. And part of his sermon, he talked about uh, what's in your hands. Remember that? And he had you look at your hands. What's in your hands? What is it that you can do? What is it that you can do? Can you, can you work on things? Can you fix things? Can you give generously? Can you encourage people? Can you write letters? Can you cook food? Can you, can you do, what, what is it that you can do with your hands? And here's the thing is that some of us, we look at our hands and we go, well, I don't have anything. Silver and gold, I do not have. Sometimes we can be too focused on what we don't have, can't we? We can start to compare ourselves to other people like, well, I'm just not as rich as that person. I'm not as educated as that person. I'm not as influential as that person. I'm not as, as uh, quick-witted as that person. I'm not as relational as that person. I'm not as funny as that person. We begin to look at our hands, and instead of seeing what we can do, we begin to realize what we can't do. And sometimes that can just trap us. But in this story, it was out of Peter and John's lacking that God moved so powerfully. Could it be that those areas of your life where you feel like you're lacking— whatever it might be. Could it be that those are the areas where God wants to move in powerful ways? The second thing that I want to point out about this miracle is that they showed unconditional compassion for this man. They didn't stop first and say, well, tell me what you believe. Tell me uh, which presidential candidate you voted for. Uh, tell me how you've been treating your family. Um, tell me um, how, how you're living morally or not morally. Like, they didn't stop and go through any of those things. They just had unconditional compassion on this man. You know, one of the common arguments that we hear against faith from non-believers is, I can't believe that people who say they follow such a compassionate and loving God can be so mean and judgmental. You ever heard that? You see, Peter and John set the example. They saw a need and with compassion, moved by the Spirit of God, they stepped into it and they served this man in this beautiful sight. And this man's life was changed. This is what it looks like when we say that God is moving by his Spirit in his church. They stepped out, unleashed with compassion, Spirit-directed, Spirit-empowered, and Spirit-led and Spirit-sustained into the world and made incredible waves. But here's the thing. As amazing as this story is, like I said, it's not the main point of this text. You see, what happens right after this man uh, gets strength in his legs and stands up and starts running around like a toddler, naturally, uh, thousands and thousands of people gather around. It's like a busker on Pearl Street or 16th Street Mall. When they start doing something amazing, a crowd forms. This is what happens right outside this temple gate. This was like the first century version of going viral, right? And, and they're all standing around going, I've seen this, this dude like a hundred times, and, and now 
Now he's jumping around like, what happened? And, and what's going to happen next? Are they going to do more tricks? Is there, are they going to start floating? Like, what's going to happen next? Let's gather around and see. And Peter sees this happening, and, and he says this in verse 11. While he, this man, clung to Peter and John, probably out of, of gratitude, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He says this, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety, we have made this man walk? Now I want to stop here for just a moment and remember that this was Peter who just about two months earlier was denied Jesus in front of a 12-year-old girl. Okay, this was, this was Peter, the one who, who denied Jesus three times that night, even after he promised he wouldn't. And he's about to get super real with these people and speak with incredible boldness. And also, um, when, when he mentions Solomon's portico, so Solomon's portico, it was this part of the temple, and it was about one year before this, this story happened, where Jesus was preaching to probably a lot of the same people. And if you remember the story, it's in John chapter 10. You can go and read it. Jesus is preaching this sermon about how he is the good shepherd, and they hated him for it. So much so that there in that, in that portico, they began to pick up stones and wanted to, to stone Jesus, and he was able to escape. This is that same place, probably many of the same people, with a, with a, with a man who had walked with Jesus but was, was a coward just a couple of months before. And this is what he says in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied him, the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So here's what happens is these people gather around. What's going on? Peter says, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. Let me tell you who did this. And he begins to set the context for the Jews. Did you, did you notice how many times he, he went, like repeated who he was talking about? He said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers. What was he doing? He was, he was bringing to mind to them the promises that God had for Israel the promises of blessing, all the way back with Abraham, way, way, way back before this time. He was recalling to mind the context of who this God is. And then he points the finger and he says, and you denied him. You killed him. The holy and righteous one, the author of life, the one that gave you life, you denied him. And then he just continues to dig. He says, look, Pilate was ready to let Jesus go. 
He even brought out Barabbas, who was a murderer, and he thought for sure, well, Jesus is innocent. If I give them a choice, if I give the people a choice between Jesus and Barabbas being released, surely they'll pick Jesus. Then we don't have to crucify him. But as Pilate brought out Jesus and Barabbas, guess who the crowd chose? The murderer to be released, condemning the author of life. And Peter then says, look, you are the ones who denied him. You are the ones who stood in that very crowd screaming, crucify him. You are the ones who chose a murderer to be released above the author of life. You are the ones who did it. And guess what? The one who healed this lame man, it was him. And all of a sudden, the dots started to connect for this huge crowd. And the biggest oh crap moment ever in their lives. And here's the main point of this whole entire story. In verse 19, we see it. It says this, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is, this is the point of the text. He says, repent. Repent. What is this, what is this word mean? It means to ch- have a change of heart to have a change of mind, to turn around, to reconsider, to, to abandon a former way of life. And guess what? When we do that, he says, your sins will be blotted out. That heavy weight that you've been carrying, gone. The crippled guy walking, yeah, that was a cool miracle, Peter says, but, but guess what? It pales in comparison to the miracle that I'm about to tell you. That those of you who cried out crucify him, guess what? The very one that you killed has now offered you forgiveness. I mean, who does that? Who does that? What kind of God does that? That's what he's like. That's what our God is like. Is that we can be the ones that literally nail him to the cross. And he speaks forgiveness to us. So here's my question to us today is if Peter was speaking a bold sermon to you right now, just between you and him, if Peter was right here in the room or or you guys had a phone call later and he was speaking a bold sermon to you right now, what would he say? And it's going to feel a little offensive at first. Would he say something like, you who have been skimming money from your work, you who have been harboring bitterness and anger, you who have been having an affair with a coworker, you who have been silent about injustice, you who have been searching for meaning and identity in so many other things that have left you empty, you who have been so much more concerned about your own self-righteousness than anything else, what would he say to you? Whatever he would say, he would follow it then by the invitation, and here's the invitation, repent. Your sins will be covered and your souls will be refreshed. It's simple, isn't it? Why do we make it so hard? 
Why do we make it so hard? Why do we go through life carrying these heavy burdens when it's simple? Repent. And when we do, the author of life blots out our sins and our souls will be refreshed. And that word refreshed is literally the word that's used for when like a cool breeze comes on a hot day. On Friday, I was mowing the lawn later in the afternoon and, and you know, it wasn't super hot on Friday, but it was hot enough. And especially after mowing the lawn, you know, you get, you kind of get sweaty and kind of hot. And, and as I was getting ready to finish mowing my grass, the sprinkles kind of started, you know, like the cold ones. And when you're hot and you feel one on your back, it's kind of like, whoa, there's one. Like, here it comes. I better hurry up and finish. And so I quickly finished mowing the lawn and I, and I took the lawnmower to the back and I, and I put it in my shed. And, and by the time I was done, it was like full on raining. And I went and I stood on my, on my deck in the rain and it was just so beautiful. There I was, dirty and sweaty and wet from the rain, and it was so refreshing, and I felt God just say, see, this is what it's like for your souls. And guess what? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to try to bring refreshment on yourself. I want to do that for you. Do you need refreshment today? Does your soul need refreshment? Are you worn out? Are you tired? I mean, you look around the world and there's a lot of need for refreshment, isn't there? There's a lot of hurting people. There's a lot of people who are striving really hard to find meaning. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to find uh, refreshment by sitting and scrolling or going on extravagant vacations that they can't afford or, or shopping or, or relationships or pampering or whatever it might be. What is it that, that you might look for refreshment in? You see, this is the promise that's offered to us in this invitation is refreshment. And did you catch how we're refreshed? Did you catch what he said? We're refreshed by the presence of the Lord. You see, we've talked about this a lot, especially through the course of this series, that the Holy Spirit of God, the one that's been there since before the beginning of time, the one that's uncreated, the, one, the, 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 the very presence of God is not only here with us, but as believers, he indwells us. That we are refreshed by the presence of God. Now, when you hear this, when you hear this, there's two responses. Some of you might hear this and think, well, yeah, that sounds really good. I want that. It sounds amazing. I want that. And then there's others who hear that and, and, and think it sounds boring or like another religious task you got to do. And, and to those of you who are in that latter group, here's what I would say is if, if that sounds boring or if that sounds like another religious rule or a religious checkbox you got you to check off, here's the thing is either you haven't experienced it yet or you have, but it's, but it's been a long time and you've forgotten it. If the refreshing presence of the Lord sounds boring to you, either you haven't experienced it yet or it's been a long time. And wherever you're at, no matter which side you're on, the invitation is open to you. And so Peter preaches this amazing sermon this convicting sermon, this bold sermon, 
No longer do you have to go into the temple to make sacrifices. Do you remember what time it was? It was three in the afternoon, the time of the afternoon sacrifice. So how, the question is, is how did these people respond? Well, I'm going to skip ahead to next week a little bit. In verse four of chapter four, it says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I mean, can you just imagine? 5,000, like, can you just even picture what 5,000 people looks like? It's just amazing. But, but here's the thing that I want to focus on is, let's put that verse back up. It says this, but what? Many. That's a strange word, Luke. Why did you say that? Luke, why didn't you say that everybody fell on their face and accepted the invitation? Well, because not everybody did. Here's the, here's the reality is that people saw the miracle. They heard this convicting sermon. They heard the invitation for refreshment. And they turned and they walked into the temple for the afternoon sacrifice. And I just think, wow, how many times have I done that? How many times have I said, no, that's okay, and walked into the temple? Here's what I mean, is how many times have I tried to continue to pay for my own sin? How many times have I tried to just manage it how many times have I tried to appease him or, or work hard to earn God's love and to earn his favor, to earn his mercy? How often do I take it upon myself to find my own refreshment, to find fulfillment, to find my identity? Don't walk into the temple for the afternoon sacrifice. Why? Because the sacrifice has already been made. And the invitation is open. It's, it's right there in front of all of us. Whether you're a follower of Jesus for 30 years or you're still deciding, the invitation is here for every single one of us to what? To repent, to turn back to our loving God and Father and to be refreshed by his very presence in us. How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you respond well? Will you believe? Or will you walk into the temple? Before I pray, I just want to make one mention that, that there's some who are listening right now who think that, yeah, but I've, I've done too much. Like, I'm too far gone. Chris, that sounds great and all, but you don't know what I've done. Like, I, I hate myself for it. I'm, I, I can't believe what I've done. I, I'm too far gone. And, and here's what I would say to that, is if the very people who, crucif who, who yelled crucify him in that crowd if their sins can be blotted out, so can yours. That his sacrifice is enough for anything, anything you've ever done. What does he require of you to simply repent, to return to him and allow him to blot out your sins and bring about refreshment? That's what our God is like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this story. <clears throat> God, thank you for the truth 
the truth that no matter what we've done and no matter where we've been, God, that we are never too far gone. God, thank you that the invitation is always there, just like the invitation to the prodigal son who deliberately left his father and ran away. And the invitation was always there for him to come home. And that when we do, God, you come running down that road to, to us. Embrace us. Rejoice over us. Remind us who we are as your beloved children. Father, we're so grateful. Lord, so we do, we, we repent. God, would you bring to mind things in our lives that we need to repent for? things that we need to turn from, things that we need to forsake, that we need to, 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 to do away with, God. Would you remind us of those things and that as we do, God, would you help us to trust you, God, that you have blotted those sins out and that we can be refreshed by your presence. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' good name we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> We spend time every weekend remembering his sacrifice for us with the cup and the bread. And so as we do today, we're just gonna take a moment to just reflect in quiet, just for a few seconds. And if there's something that maybe you wanna share with God, something you wanna confess to him, something you need to, to, to just bring up and turn from, then I want you to do that, but not only that, I want you to then embrace the truth that your sins have been blotted out by the author of life. Let's take a few moments and just reflect. take the bread together, we remember his body given for you, freely given by the author of life. Let's remember together. And his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Let's remember. We're going to spend some time responding to our good and loving father today and if you would like some prayer during this time, we have uh, people over here under the banner that are going to be here to pray with you. Feel free during our time of singing or after a service to get up and, and make your way over there. They would love to just minister to you in, in whatever way you might need. Or online, you can uh, press the button and submit a prayer request, all right? Let's stand together.